Father, we pray now that your spirit would come and so deliver us from our idols that would take the gaze away from you. Father, I pray now that you would sanctify these feeble human words for the good of your people and the honor of your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, most of you know I am a pop culture lover, especially Taylor Swift holds a special place in my heart, and I often like to begin with a pop culture reference, but this time I have no Taylor Swift song to quote to you, nor do I have a personal story, nor do I have a Selena Gomez quote or a New York Times article. I have nothing like that. When Paul wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth, he reminded them that he did not come with lofty speech or wisdom that the Mediterranean culture of his day loved so much. So similar to Paul tonight, I have one overarching message to deliver this evening. A message that is foolishness to us Americans who worship at the altars of nationalism, consumerism, and individualism. And the message simply is this. The defender and the protector of the church is Jesus Christ, her Lord. He is our Lord and he is our deliverer. He is the servant Lord who serves us by binding up our wounds. He is the deliverer who delivered himself over to the powers of this age to be trampled upon. Jesus Christ himself is our King. Do not be mistaken, Church of the Advent. This is a shocking claim in 2017. In our world, which elevates our government leaders to a special place, to a place like a Messiah who will finally rescue us from this evil age, from our human condition, from our anxiety, from our globalized and increasingly terrifying world. Or as one sociologist says, the political leader nowadays, whether it be Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Elizabeth Warren, the political leader nowadays stands as a demiurge, a godlike figure who has come to bring the answer to rescue us from our problems. And this is a shocking claim in our world, which is so divided into factions that mutually assert their rights at the expense of other human beings. It has been our confession, church, from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is our Lord and he is the one who deserves our allegiance. And he is our king who binds up our wounds. Tonight's text, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, is a familiar one to a lot of us. It's familiar because it is often read around Christmas, but tonight the lectionary has assigned it in Epiphany. The season that reminds us that the God of Israel is not only the Redeemer for Israel, but is the Redeemer of the whole world. He is our Creator. He is our Sustainer. He is the Giver of all good gifts. He is absolutely sovereign over all human history. He sends the rain for both the just and the unjust, and He is the one who is taking all history to its appointed end in Jesus Christ. The lectionary assigns this passage in Epiphany because Isaiah specifically mentions the Gentiles. He says in verse 1, He has made the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The nations. 
The God of Israel is doing a new thing even for them, even for the Gentiles, even for us Americans. Isaiah 9, 1-7, through 7, our passage this evening, comes on the heels of God's people turning from God's promises. Now, at this point in the story, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two kingdoms, the north and the south. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. But Israel is now called Ephraim, according to chapter 7, because it has chosen its old identity apart from God's promises. And Ephraim has teamed up with Syria to conquer the southern kingdom of Judah. But Judah also is unrighteous, because Judah is ruled by an unrighteous king who does not look to the God of Israel to deliver her. King Ahaz looks to the human superpower of the day, just like any of us naturally would, trusting in human protection, in human security to deliver us. So Isaiah announces a promise. He announces that a righteous king will in fact sit upon the throne of Zion and that this king will be the deliverer to end all would-be deliverers. To make a long story short, we go to chapter 8 and verse 22, and it sums up the judgment. For both kingdoms, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This is not the first time that God's people have been enveloped by darkness. It is, in fact, the cycle of sin from the very beginning that continues to our present day. It began in the garden where Adam and Eve distrusted God, distrusted him, and reached out to take of that fruit, that barbed wire that was loaded with electricity. But distrust in the good God, the God who has loved, the triune God, It leads us to a place that we can only call our prison, where something else besides us enslaves us. So God must act, and he must rescue his creation from the darkness, a creation that is now plunged deeply into the pit. But the cycle of sin does not end there. It continues, and if we go on to the book of Exodus, we see it again. There in the book of Exodus, in chapter 6, We see that the people named Israel are enslaved in a foreign land named Egypt, and the God of Israel announces his gospel to them there in their enslavement. He says that he is the deliverer. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God places a judgment upon strong and powerful Egypt, and through that judgment, he leads his people to salvation. But the cycle does not end there. It continues when we come to Judges chapter 6, when the nation of Israel is enslaved again by Midian. The Midianites are oppressing Israel, but through the warrior named Gideon, The God of Israel announces his gospel again. He will be victorious and he will give the victory to the outnumbered Israelite army. As he did at the Exodus, the God of Israel is doing a new thing for his people. 
He is leading them to salvation. And now we come to Isaiah, our passage this evening, and the cycle of sin continues again. Now, Israel and Judah, the two kingdoms, live under the ominous threat of Assyria. But the God of Israel is zealous to keep his promises. He is zealously committed to the salvation of his people, and he has announced in 2 Samuel 7 that there will be a righteous throne who will, who will be on the throne of David forever. God places a judgment upon powerful Assyria, and he places a judgment upon the kings of Israel and Judah who look to themselves for their own security, who look to human power to rescue, to deliver, and save. So God announces that through his judgment, he will bring salvation to his people. The future, in fact, is so certain that our passage this evening will put it in the past tense. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. As he rescued Israel from Egypt and Midian, he will flex his strong arm once again, and he will break their oppression. And he will do it by finally installing his righteous king to be on the throne of David forever. So our passage this evening says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. God will see to it that his promises are not thwarted. There will be a king who is on the throne of David. And the Gospel of Matthew, which we just heard from, wants us to know exactly who this figure is. The man named Jesus is that child to be born, who will bring about a new and greater exodus, who himself will be the light to us who dwell in darkness. Jesus is the final servant of the Lord, who will be the righteous king to rise to the throne. But there is a shocking turn of events at the end of Matthew. Because in the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus himself enters into the darkness and takes the darkness upon himself. Jesus enters into the darkness and bears the wounds upon himself. That is how he overcomes In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God announces that he is doing a new thing. He is entering into our history. He is binding up our wounds. In Jesus, the God of Israel reverses the darkness because he has raised his servant, Jesus, from the dead. Church, we are wounded individuals. I am a wounded individual. And our nation is wounded. Our city is wounded. We are wounded in so many ways. Financial wounds, relational wounds, economic wounds, and so much more. Our city of Birmingham also carries collective wounds. Sadly, 
Our city has a history which is marked by racial violence, something that still very much plagues us to this day. And sadly, if we are honest, the church helped inflict some of these wounds. But our nation is also wounded. If we need any example of that, just check out the news from yesterday where thousands of people across the globe marched for women's rights. You could almost feel the anger. It was palpable. If you need an example, just listen to actress Ashley Judd's speech yesterday in Washington. Our economy is wounded and it wounds others. It disenfranchises real human beings who are made in the image of God. And all too often, our government privileges the powerful over the weak and the vulnerable. But to us wounded Americans who dwell in this dark place, the God of Israel announces that he is doing something radically new in our midst. When we gather each week around this news, what God has done, we gather as the church where we are united to our crucified and risen King who binds up the wounds and makes us a community that reflects his love. Church of the Advent, when we the church gather, do not be mistaken, it is a very subversive and public gathering. The news that we gather around cannot be manipulated and sized down to the ideologies of our day in the U.S. It cannot be sized down to the ideologies of any nation or any generation, in fact. In a moment when Matt Schneider leads us in communion, Perhaps some of us will hear that shocking story told once again. He will say, Our Savior Jesus Christ, who in the same night that he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. Betrayed by whom? An upright citizen who was a treasurer. Betrayed to whom? The religious and the political authorities of his day. It has often been the kiss of death to the gospel when the church in America has gotten too cozy to the political leaders and the American ideologies of our day. But Jesus, do not be mistaken, is way too strange to be accommodated into this present evil age, into our ideologies. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. To my right... There is an American flag. To some, it symbolizes freedom. To Native Americans or African Americans, even, it might symbolize oppression. To some, it symbolizes the standard agendas of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. Or still to others, to us millennials, it might mean that we are free to live our own story as we please. And while we can be thankful for so many things our country has given us, like gathering here tonight without fear of death or persecution, while we can be thankful for that, we are the church, we are that community who are now brought into relation with our living Lord. Because Jesus was dead and now lives, we are new creatures in him, and we can say with full conviction that even though he was inaugurated only two days ago, Donald Trump belongs to the past. The ideologies of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party belong to the past. The God of Israel has raised his servant, Jesus, from the dead. 
and we are new creatures in Christ, in Him. We have heard the triune God's word from the future. He is taking our world someplace. And it does not look like the Democratic Party or the Republican Party either. The gospel has displaced us as individual actors in our own life movie, and it has put us in God's story in Christ. God's good news finally frees us from ourselves and gives us distance to be critical of our own racial, cultural, and whatever other ideologies that we would live into. And so, church, we would be sorely mistaken if we look to Donald Trump to be our deliverer. Because like all idols, they don't deliver. In fact, the God of Israel this evening has announced to us that he himself is the deliverer to end all would-be deliverers. He has entered into our history and he has delivered himself over to the powers of this age to be trampled upon. He is the one who has taken on human flesh and he was wounded for our transgressions. And to that, he adds his promise that this present darkness will be reversed because the God of Israel has raised his servant Jesus from the dead, and now our crucified and risen Lord sits upon the throne of Zion. He is our king. Back in 2013, Pope Francis was asked what kind of church he envisioned, and he said this, I see clearly that the thing the church needs most today is the ability to heal wounds and to warm the hearts of the faithful. It needs nearness, proximity. I see the church as a field hospital after battle. It is useless to ask a seriously injured person if he has high cholesterol and about the level of his blood sugars. You have to heal his wounds. Then we can talk about everything else. Heal the wounds, heal the wounds, he says. And you have to start from the ground up. Pope Francis continues, The most important thing is the first proclamation. Jesus Christ has saved you. Instead of being just a church that welcomes and receives by keeping the doors open, let us try also to be a church that finds new roads, that is able to step outside itself. End quote. If the church, my friends, is a field hospital, This is only because she is united to her crucified and risen king who went outside of his own comfort and descended in love to us to rescue us. So this means that the church in the 21st century is not to be found back at home, retreated into a safe enclave from our wounded world. It means that we are not to sit in the place of self-righteous, Uh, self-righteous superiority and condemn the world. But if it is a field hospital, it means also that we are not content to just leave the world as it is. The church as a field hospital is one which first acknowledges our own wounds and moves outward as Christ has to bind up the wounds of our wounded world, seeking to bring health and wholeness to an exhausted world. What if the church were known as a merciful church, an eccentric church that moved outside of itself to bind up the wounds of a broken world, to embody mercy, 
because God in Jesus Christ has shown such incredible mercy to us. In fact, our own Anglican liturgy reminds us each and every week, Thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. To put it in other terms, church, as we close, we are the church and we gather around God's good news in Christ. And it is the whole task of the church to make sure that this new word gets spoken in our day. Not just me, not just Matt, not just Zach, but we the church, that living organism which receives life from our crucified and risen Lord. We who gather each week to proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes. So as our nation becomes entrenched and divides up into more and more factions, into liberal and conservative, democratic and republican, the field hospital, we, we must tell all who will listen that the God of Israel has done a new thing. He has raised his servant Jesus from the dead. He has taken up our wounds He has binded up the wounds of the brokenhearted, and he has reversed them in his resurrection. This present evil age is passing away. Jesus Christ is our deliverer, and he is our king. Amen.